Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, host of the RouterFlex podcast and founder and CEO of our day job recruiting firm, RouterFlex. We hope you enjoy this episode. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the podcast for updates and news. Finally, if you haven't already, check out the series of books we've published on hiring, interviewing, and overall career advice titled The RouterFlex Guide, available on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Most homeowners don't have the time or expertise to properly take care of their home, which causes costly issues to arise. That's where Cura Home Maintenance comes in. We're a full-service, routine maintenance company that was developed by a certified home inspector. Each quarter, we service our clients' homes following manufacturer's recommendations to properly maintain all the necessary appliances. We provide the materials and expertise to prolong the life of your property, creating a healthy and efficient environment for your family. From top to bottom, we'll maintain and service your home. To get started, we have a property inspection to determine what needs to be maintained, and a maintenance plan is created based on your preferences. From refrigerator coils to filters, vents, and drains, we do it all, and we do it well. Contact us today for your free routine maintenance inspection and never worry about your maintenance again. Uh, Carl Genone on the Rider Flex podcast. Hello, Carl. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Are you so uh, full-blown Italian, 100% Italian, half Italian? What, what's the scoop? Pizza bagel. Uh, mom, <laughs> Jewish. Actually, pizza bagel with a bunch of Basque sprinkled on top um so yeah i have the herding culture on uh that honor culture on my dad's side and then uh and then ashkenazi jewish on my mother's which means i understand guilt really well <laughs> did you have to go to catholic church or or or, or were you, what, what how did you serve what, what what was the mix when you were growing up how, how did that work Dad's a recovering Catholic. Um, so I actually, so one of my interests in, in undergrad was music. Um, always loved music. And my dad played bass, um, actually played bass. His bass teacher was Gene Wright um, from um, Dave Brubeck Quartet. Oh, so I cool. cool. uh, didn't do it professionally, but but that was a hobby. So uh, growing up around music and my buddy Benny, um, uh, Irish Catholic family, and I went to mass with him and they played beautiful music. And I loved it. And so my father then took me thinking, or no, I maybe went to a regular mass. My father took me to a high mass and okay. thinking that it would be so long and I wouldn't be interested. No, love the music. And then he explained to me, well, then he'll sign me up for Sunday school. And I did not like school. And so it's like, <laughs> wait, hold on. Um, so no, I grew up, um, grew up atheist. It was actually interesting as uh, a buddy of mine um, grew up in a town, most probably, maybe there were a dozen sort of Jewish families in the school at, at that time. And, and we were not observant. Aaron's father was, and Aaron is now, he went the other direction and he's now a Catholic priest in Wisconsin. Um, so, yeah. That, do you remind him, do you remind him all the time about all the chicks he banged when he was younger before he, before he got super religious? <laughs> I may have been going through a box of pictures on Monday and may have sent a picture uh, yeah, that, that actually happened. How do you, you know, how do you, do, well, I guess priests can, priests can have relationships now. I don't even know. What are the rules with that? 
uh, having never tried out for that. You're the recruiting person, so I would think you would know. <laughs> yeah, I should know. Uh, you would know the I job requirements. I should know. Uh, uh, um, I don't. The Catholic priests know, and he's he's part of an order called Church of Christ the King, which I don't know if it rejects Vatican II, but very traditional. Um, so that was yeah. his. I mean, he had a life prior, and and now um, now he's has his flock in Lacrosse, okay. Wisconsin. Hey, good for him. Good for him. I couldn't do it. I don't, I don't know. I couldn't do it. I, I hate bless, you know, bless him for doing it. I couldn't, I don't think I could do it. I like to sin too much. <laughs> it uh, makes it challenging. <laughs> you're, I, always, uh, I always think he sort of looks at my life like an ongoing sin in progress. It's like, where are we? It's like an ongoing crime in progress where, yeah. You know, I've, I've never, I've never done the whole booth, you know, going to the booth thing. Um, I grew up, my, I, so I grew up in Oklahoma. My mom was uh, Pentecostal still is and uh i always thought man it'd be so cool to go into one of those booths but i'd probably be in there for a long time i'd have to like book out a week especially now <laughs> so in the sixth grade uh <laughs> are your folks still alive um my dad is um mom passed and that was actually my journey into cannabis so uh, well tell me about it what are you mind sharing Sure. So I majored in economics and business and went to Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. Grew up in a little town in Connecticut called Ridgefield. Um, saw the movie Wall Street in 87 when I was 10. Did not realize that it was supposed to be a cautionary tale. Uh, sort of like reading Liar's Poker when I was in college. Also supposed to be a cautionary tale. Didn't quite work out that way. Wound up uh, becoming a, a basically a glorified day trader in the late 90s. That sort of grew up into a bigger business um, and so in 2016, a buddy of mine sent me a deck for a cannabis grow opportunity in Oregon. And this is when prices were what they were. And, and up until that time, and not that I had anything, so not that I had anything against cannabis at all. Um, I consumed it, uh, enjoyed it, but you know, even it's not a serious business. You take a look at like the first wave of potcom stocks, those Canadian RTOs, you know, in 13 or whatever, I mean, all scams, uh, I would not make a, any statements because I may have some friends who work and manage uh, some of the companies now, but maybe some statements could be made that some of that yeah. they're there too. Yeah. Um, and in 16, so uh, my buddy sends me a deck and for so this grow opportunity and I, I ship it off and uh, to some, some friends who do like P and, and uh, who do due diligence for like P and VC and that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, just tell me what's wrong with this so I could let this gentleman down easy. And they respond back with what's the minimum investment. And it's like, crap, got to do some homework. Um, and so wound up making a, uh, putting together investment group, went out there to visit, realized the business was not being run well at the same time. Um, so I was on, I was on Facebook before Donald Trump broke all my friends' brains, uh, back when, back when Facebook was like pictures of vacations and before it became a, a political thing. And, and, um, I had a friend in high school who wound up marrying this woman who I was connected to, whose younger brother had a registered caregiver grow in Massachusetts. And there was a picture of this burned out grow. So it was now legal. It was before rec was legal, that gray area stuff. And he posted a picture online of this fire in a grow room. So I reached out to Adriana. I'm like, Adriana, what's Sebastian doing? She's like, Carl, you won't believe it. Carl, you won't believe it. She's like, he's a, a registered caregiver for, for cannabis. And she's like, Carl, you won't believe it. She's like, marijuana is not a drug. It's a medicine. And like Adriana's a teacher and super straight laced. And I was like, okay, no shit. And so wind up 
meeting Jesse and through, so my business partner now, uh, who is Sebastian, her younger brother's traditional market partner. Um, and there were actually, there were originally five of us. Um, and so when we, we, the idea was we we're going to bring Jesse and Sebastian out to Oregon and they, they they've been trained in extraction. They were going to set up a lab out there, I help see. us set up a lab. Okay. So now we're on this gorgeous farm in Williams, Oregon, realizing things are not going a good way, not being managed a good way. And so I'm asking now this is after this is after the investment. Or are you still in discovery after the point? investment? Sorry. Now it's the following summer. We're going out to visit. And so from the moment we arrive and the bathroom's dirty and I'm like, why is the bathroom dirty? I hear an excuse. The cleaning lady, something, something. It's like, give me gloves. I'm the cleaning lady. You're the cleaning lady. Like, this is not how I do things. Like, if something needs to be done, <laughs> we do it. Um, and so, but we're now on the farm for a week. And okay. as a trader, I get up at 4.30 in the morning still. My business partner, Jesse, who has the far more interesting story, um, uh, construction was his day job. All right. Um, he had been arrested for 70 pounds and a quarter million cash back in 07, did 18 months of a three-year bid, did five years of probation. Okay. Um, and so, and then was doing this caregiver stuff. And and so um, I'm asking, just we're walking around the farm every morning. Tell me everything that's wrong. What's good, what's bad. And finally at the end, he's like- While you're doing your, while you're doing your day job, you're still trying to work at that point as a trader. I was on a week's vacation, walking okay. around a mountain farm with very little cell service in Oregon. Okay. And he looks at me and he's like, he's like, you know, it's going legal next year in mass. Why don't we move this mountain to Wareham? I'm like, Jesse, what the fuck is a Wareham? I live in Manhattan. Um, <laughs> oh, were you a, live in downtown? Were you living downtown at the time or in the city? Up, upper, I was in Manhattan, but Upper East. Yeah. But okay. I've been the same place for 10 years and never loved the city. Um, and didn't realize I didn't love trading as much as I did until I was out. Okay. Um, but anyway, plane lands and we find out my 76 year old mother who we thought had a little tear in her shoulder turned out to be a seven centimeter primary mass and metastasized everywhere oh. Oh. yeah um and they had my my little 76 year old probably 106 pound mom at the time on i think 80 megs of oxy and i had never steve fortunately and moving to this town that's changed big opiate problem in by the cape um mm -hmm. Yeah. But fortunately, it just never touched. So my it never touched me. Um, fortunately, you know, like, uh, you know, for you get your wisdom teeth out, you get something. But I just yeah. never I've just been one of the few that were lucky. Same and for watched, me. Yeah. 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 Same for me. Never, never really was around it to for it to affect me. Yep. Go ahead. We're lucky. Um, yeah. We're really lucky. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I come out and I'm now staying with her and, and I watch my mom watching NASCAR like sort of drooling, sort of smiling. And that's not my mom. Like mm -hmm. we didn't end also. So I haven't had cable or I mean TV since the nineties and moving in with her and now watching TV after the last show I probably watched with any seriousness was the wonder years. Um, different one, the different camera angles was weird Two, a lot of stuff when you're not, you don't see, I mean, CNBC I'd have on, you know, trading, but um, but also noticing that seven out of 10 of the commercials that were sponsoring the evening news were drug companies. Mm -hmm. Um, and that mom, at one point we were watching modern family and there was an ad for one of her drugs. And then there was an ad from the same company 
to treat one of the symptoms, the side effects from the drug. And it was like, all right, hold on. I'm doing this cannabis thing. There's a caregiver program in Connecticut. What do we, you know? And so talk to oncologists and I mean, you know, Fairfield County, Connecticut. So these are, these are good doctors. I've been there. Yeah. Across the board. Um, you know, there's no, you could put her on Marinol or Sativa, you know, the, the pills that's just pure THC. And I would watch the nurses behind her shake their heads and I talk after. And and what I really thought, and this is up until 20, almost 2018, Steve, I thought that if that what medical cannabis was, was if I'm sick, I'd prefer to be high and sick and not high and sick. And probably <laughs> if I was really sick, I'd want to be really high. And there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Like as a principal libertarian, like I'm good. Like, so, um, and that was really the process. Um, left trading, um, moved in with mom. My sister took the days. I would take nights. So she, you know, in and out of institutions. Where, where was your, your mom and dad must've been divorced at the time then, I guess. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah. My parents yeah. split right before 9-11, right around 9-11. I got you. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, she passed and. But she passed, started. but she passed not hooked on opioids. Um, up until, so from probably December through when she passed that spring, she was not on any opiates until it was IV in hospice. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And I mean, she gained weight into her death of primary metastatic lung cancer. I have memories. I mean, mom wanting to dip French fries into milkshakes at 2 a.m. while watching, you know, an Ari Shafir comedy special howling. Like, you can never get that back. And so, you know, this and this sort of ties in. I was um, with a, a, my my young nephew, who's now probably in his mid 30s, uh, early 30s, certainly when he was a teenager. Um, I, I go over and visit his my aunt's house and he asked me, what do I do? I'm like, well, I'm a trader. He's like, well, what's that? And I'm try trying to explain what I did, which was really nothing. What? I, well, I'm a liquidity provider. Fuck, does that mean? Like <laughs> trying to explain. And now we make something. You know, it was wild. The other night, I was going through all of our sales and all of our stuff and the number of units and just trying to think, like, how many movies did we make funnier, help make funnier, meals tastier? I like that. Just just all that stuff. And and the number of people who, and we're an adult use store, so we're rec, we're not med, different basically being taxes and HIPAA. Okay. Um, but the number of people, especially because the Venn diagram of veterans in this area that also use cannabis, but don't want to lose VA stuff, so don't want to get their med card. And also in Massachusetts, I guess the concealed carry is a thing you have to represent that you don't use cannabis. And if you have a medical marijuana card, that's hard. So because of that, we do get a lot of vets in that buy adult use cannabis recreationally. And just the stories, you know, I'll go out to retail and the stories of how it's an off ramp for opiates and, and just all this stuff. Um, isn't it interesting not to go, I don't want to go down, I'll go off on a rant here, but isn't that crazy? So if you're a veteran and you you have VA benefits, you can't get medicinal uh, cannabis, You but you can get opioids all day long. <laughs> and they probably pay for them. Because yeah. cannabis, you have to pay for yourself. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's, uh, we can, it's it's funny. Had this conversation <laughs> been four years ago, the amount and I don't know, is, is the Overton window is that the 
the amount that public perception has changed over cannabis. So when we started this, mm. it was late 2017. That fall, three months later, I'm trying to raise money, and Trump gets in and Sessions rips up Colin Ogden, and then there's the vape crisis, and then and it's like, and just mm. there was still some of that like, well, it's cannabis is you know it's marijuana, at least. I know, granted, I probably skew. I mean, I guess I skew the circles I'm in, right? So that that may be changing this, but it like the number of people that are like weed is bad are like the people who make money from weed. So yeah, <laughs> if you're in the prison guard union, sure, I get it. It's very difficult to take a principled stance against something that writes your paycheck, right? Like mm -hmm. get back. Um, but I think yeah. we've just moved so far beyond like everyone knows somebody that it's helped. Oh, yeah. And you and I are rare to not, well, now I know people that it harmed, but if you don't know, if you don't have a personal story where somebody went to the doctor, got pain medicine and got, got all ensnared up, like that makes yeah. us the minority. So I think we've shifted. It's just getting the government to change some of that tax law. Well, you know, it, it, hey, as long as uh, Pfizer and these these folks have uh, as much power as they do, there's always going to be uh, a, a battle, uh, you know, to a certain degree, because they're, you know, that's the last thing they want is for people to take less of their medication and take more cannabis. And so it's been an uphill battle. I mean, you talk these, these pharmaceutical companies, I mean, besides the oil companies, you're talking about the most powerful people on planet Earth. I mean, these 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 folks have a shit ton of power. <laughs> I, I lived through 2020. Uh, and 2021 and 2022, I'm acutely aware, sir. Uh, I mean, but that's actually one of the reasons. So, sort of, actually, sort of along with this, um, what the, so we make a little bit about trade routes. Um, so we are, so Massachusetts was the first state to enact something called uh, the social equity program, and the original idea. And there were cities, I believe, like Oakland. There were cities out west, I think, that did it first. But Massachusetts, okay. as far as like a state, I believe, was the first to do it. Shailene Title leading the charge on that. Um, and so because of Jesse's arrest in the original part for your listeners, the, 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 the original idea for the social equity program was to redress some of the harms, disproportionate harms done by the war on drugs. So okay. if you were arrested for cannabis mm -hmm. and you no guns, no kids, no powder, no violence, none of that stuff. The idea was that you get a little upper little uh, advantage on your application, you get fast tracked, you'd lower licensing fees and all that stuff. And so okay. originally you'd have to be 50% Jesse social equity operator would have to be a 51% owner. They realized that that would be nearly impossible to do based on funding and dilution, all of it. So they lowered it to 10. So we actually applied as general applicants. We joined Jesse joined the social equity program in the second cohort when uh, our bank called and was like, yeah, we're doing a promo for social equity folks, which are only, so right now there are 110 cultivators, 12 micro businesses, 89 product manufacturers, 315 retailers of those, and uh, a handful of delivery, maybe eight delivery operators, nine delivery drivers of those, I think like 57 are social equity of all of those licenses. Interesting. I, I believe that's doors, not even stores. Um, but so the program, unfortunately, while well-intentioned, hasn't necessarily been as successful as we would all want. Um, but we, when Jesse joined that program, that made Trade Roots the first vertically integrated social equity operator. So what that means That's is cool. we have a craft cultivation, 
um, grow about 2,200 pounds of flour that tests 28% higher in THCA than state averages and way more importantly, 57% higher in terpenes. So those wonderful smells. Um, our vault when we open up the cure tube smells incredible. Cool. Um, we actively cultivate 37 strains. Um, everything's hand trimmed. We're in a um, few dozen stores in the state beside our store, which is the only store. And Steve, you'll find this funny. So I learned I learned a few things in my 40s that I will now share with uh, with you and your audience. Uh, first one is that NASA did not invent the space heater. I thought the space heater was some sort of ceramic coil technology that NASA invented to heat the space shuttle, not that it was a heater designed to heat a space. Uh, I learned that in my 40s. I also learned when when I, I, I learned a pony doesn't grow up to a horse. Learned that and that um, and that. So I'm talking with an operator over Zoom, and I'm explaining. So we opened up cultivation and and, and manufacturing first, and then we're opening up retail. You have the and one retail. Well, you have the one retail store so far. One so, retail store. Yeah, yeah. Co-located yeah. in Wareham, yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, and we have, and I'm explaining to this gentleman who owns uh, Northeast Alternatives, which is a, a privately held regional multi-state operator. I'm like Kyle. I'm like, uh, you know, our retail store when it opens. We're going to be the first one because I knew there was one in Colorado. I'm like, we're going to be the first one uh, east of the Mississippi that you could actually see. There's a window from our retail space into a grow. So if you go to. I saw that in one of your photos. Yeah, I saw that on the website. Yeah, I think. Yes, I could see it. There's, I saw a picture somewhere this morning when I was doing my homework. It's cool. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. So, go ahead. So and so I'm saying to Kyle, it's like, Kyle, yeah, this is the only place east of the Mississippi that, that has this. And he's cool. like, actually, I opened up one in Michigan a couple of years ago. And that's when I realized at 42, I had no idea that Michigan was east of the Mississippi. By the way, for the listeners, let's get this in here real quick. So it's traderoots.buzz is the website URL, correct? Traderoots.buzz. And it's, um, it's wholesale, primarily wholesale with one retail store. Is that how you would describe it? So um, about 20% of our business comes from selling cult our cultivated products wholesale out into the market. How um, many was that? What was that one more time? I got interrupted right there. With a, with a, what was that? How much? It's about 20% of our top. I think I can share this. About 20% of our top line revenue comes from selling our flour packaged in bulk out into the wholesale market. Okay, good. Um, roughly about another quarter comes from our lab. So we have uh, an extraction lab. So there are currently two verticals, two, two verticals that are social equity. It's us and Ideal Craft Cannabis. They have manufacturing, like they make pre-rolls and that kind of stuff, but we're okay. the only one in the state that sort of delves deep into the science. Okay, and so we have, and, and we, the lab does a bunch of stuff. So we can take, we have two sides, one uh, ethanol extraction, and that produces distillate. So we can take, you know, all the outdoor product, all of that stuff, extract it, distill it, um, clean it up, and that'll go into um, that'll go into uh, edibles, although we don't make them ourselves. Uh, and I was going to sort of get into that with mom's story, but it's the only okay. thing we don't do. And actually, and the reason we don't is watching TV and watching all of these pharma ads, realizing just actually how much money insurance was not paying for these prescription drugs that were now sitting in mom's home because we had her on cannabis. And I'm just looking, and it was the Tide Pod Challenge. Remember that? Uh -huh. Kids were eating yep. Tide Pod. Yep. It was around yep. that same time. And I'm just imagining if I were 
not going to name XYZ large pharma company that's spending however many bajillion dollars on ads for during evening news and went and however they would do it, but nudge that newsroom and say, hey, did you see this story about the kid that did the one gram edible challenge and then jumped off a roof? Yeah. And I'm just looking and going, we're not confectioners. The market probably doesn't need another gummy. I mean, it's a brand new market. The market probably won't need another gummy. We're not okay. going to produce anything spectacular. And it's so easy for the FDA just to come in and go, this is ours. Like, so easy. So we just decided to not okay. do edibles. Okay. But we do make the oil for a lot of edibles in the state. So we so we also have about 12 to 15% of our business is manufacturing services. And so- I see. All right. We'll take somebody else's flour. We'll bring it in. We'll extract it. We were the first in the state to do collaborations. So um, your flour, we'll extract it, put both of our names on it. We've done extraction swaps where we've sent someone our flour, they've sent them theirs, and we'll they'll extract it as rosin. We'll do it as live resin. Um, you know, Massachusetts makes it hard. So one side of that lab is ethanol. The other side is hydrocarbon. And the way the Massachusetts regs were promulgated, I guess, if that's the word, or mm -hmm. made up, mm -hmm. Was the legislator said this has to be done, and then the commission had however many months to do it. And speaking with a former commissioner who's now a lobbyist um, for GTI, she stated, and this was at a public, uh, semi-public event, she stated that and was talking to two current sitting commissioners and was stating that the reason why Massachusetts regs are so stringent was they went around to all of the other states, Colorado, Washington, whatever, and said, what are your regs? Pick the strictest of all of them. And then said, how could we go stricter with the idea that the new commissioners, the onus would be on them to decide what to loosen up, right? So like we have delivery of the two driver law just got repealed. It had, you had to have two drivers in every car to make huh? a delivery. Are you serious? I didn't even know that. <laughs> okay. This one, but, but there's some microbial load on flour is 10,000 total where other states are a hundred thousand. Um, but the one that hurts, but also now is a benefit to us is the residual hydrocarbon testing on concentrates. So I believe the second most stringent state beside um, Massachusetts was Colorado and Colorado was 800 parts per million. So you could have 800 parts per million residual amounts of butane in the extraction. Um, they actually raised that limit to 5,000, made it less strict because that's the pharma industry standard is 5,000. I see. Massachusetts is 12. <laughs> the air right now is probably three. The air on a crowded highway or certainly you go through a tunnel in Boston is 30 to 40. If you've ever started your car, lit a lighter, eaten a cheeseburger, you're in, I mean, you're consuming way, way more. Are you, so, are you telling me, are you telling me it could be a lot cheaper for you guys to run your business if you weren't in mass? Is that what, is that basically what this means? I'm very thankful for our commission, our partners, our investors, everyone that, and our employees and everyone that believes in us. And this is a wonderful place that I'm doing business. However, yes, there are states that, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but you're close to, but you're close to home. I mean, you're a Northeast guy, right? I mean, if you had to go any further West, you'd be, you'd be, you wouldn't like it. Would you? You're a Northeast guy. I never thought I'd leave. I thought I'd die on a trading floor, like not die on a trading floor, but like, yeah. Like, I mean, your you speed, know, I, your, I speed never... your, your, your speed is Northeast. I don't see you. I don't see you doing well out West where things move slower. You, you would go nuts. <laughs> you are, 
sitting in front of a very evolved man, Steve. If what <laughs> you're sensing is New York energy now, this is after four years of hard work to not be that person. So if I'm still giving off that energy, uh, maybe you might be right, sir. Oh, man. No, I'm just giving, just giving you a hard time and just kind of getting a sense for your personality, which I love, by the way. It's super energetic, which I'm, I'm assuming your investors love, your customers love, your vendors love. They love that. They love that uh, uh, passionate energy. And, you know, the little thing that you mentioned earlier, I really picked up on that. You walk into a facility and you just go to the restroom and you start there. Like, let's, let's just start right here. Like, if the restroom is dirty, I don't even need to look at anything else because we're going to start right here. Because if, if that's a problem, there's problems elsewhere in the building. I can promise you. I love mm -hmm. that attitude, by the way. I used to do the same thing. I used to be an old multi-unit retailer where I was a district and regional manager, and I had multi-units or whatever that I'd supervise way before Riderflex. And I would just start in the restroom. I'd come in. I'd set my bag down to go to the restroom. And if that was dirty, I'd get, I'd get the manager. I'd bring him to the back. I'd be like, No. <laughs> we're not we're not doing this <laughs> have you ever heard the story and i think the band i think it was motley Crue, would not allow uh they had in their rider like for the stuff backstage yeah um no brown m&ms in their m&ms and this was like this was a thing that we all heard about as kids like for like that. rock stars being divas but it wasn't that. And I, th I think it was maybe Motley Crue Metallica with somebody. But I remember that. The, yeah. But the story was, it's not that. I read afterwards, the reason they did it, they had a long rider and Michael Jackson had just gotten blown up with some pyro because they didn't place the pyro right. They did something wrong. And so the tour manager put the no brown M&Ms in the rider because he knew that if he walked into the dressing room and they didn't catch that, then they have to check everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like. You love that, it. Oh, I love um, that. I love that. How, um, t tell me, so about trade routes, how big is the organization? I don't know how much you can share. I know it's a private company, so I may ask you questions you don't want to share. I'm sure you don't want to give me revenue, but how about people? Like, give us a general idea of the size, maybe. So um, we're right now 43 people. Um, over half are local way over half um okay. I mean, we set up in jesse's hometown so when the police have to do a walkthrough so the town's twenty two thousand. um you know the the cops. You, you know the chief so <laughs> old chief was retiring new chief coming in all the cops coming to do a walk through the building the whole thing and we're about to open up retail and and walter the new chief looks at me the chief curry looks at me and he's like carl you guys have been at this for a long time how long's it been I'm like, Walter, it's been almost four years. And without missing a beat, the old chief looks at Jesse and goes, some of you, it's been a lot longer than that. He was Jesse's <laughs> dare officer in middle school or high school. And Jesse was actually the representative. Like, so every time he still does like police duty and like a uh, uh, yeah. bad yeah. duty in town and stuff. And I will always, uh, always tease him and be like, you know, thanks for doing such a lousy job. Uh, because I have a wonderful career. <laughs> uh, that's great. So, um, are you? What's the plan? Are, do you want to do more uh, retail? Do you want to expand your wholesale? I mean, so if I'm if I'm understanding you correctly, I mean, you have the extraction and the lab piece that makes money for you. You have the retail store makes money. You have the wholesale division. Yep. What do you want to continue to expand? 
Do you want to continue to expand all three? And do you have any interest in going to different states? Kind of a big question. Sorry. Great questions. Um, so interest versus action, right? Um, and, and you said something earlier that I, I and, and thank you for the for your kind words um, about me being passionate. I, I hope I'm purposeful and maybe less passionate, or at least attempt to be. Uh, maybe purposefully enthusiastic. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, people. I'll, I go to a, a lot of these conferences, right? And I'm very, very fortunate to have made a lot of friends in this industry around the country. And, and um, one of the things I got, and this is a little squirrel sidetrack, but one of the things when I had my trading business, I had a, a compliance director who forced me to get LinkedIn. And so when I, and I interviewed everybody for my desk. So I'd interview thousands of people. Well, if they add you on LinkedIn, 10 years later, when you enter the cannabis industry, all of a sudden I could reach out to whomever and we probably have, if, if they're at C-suite, we probably have some connections at some hedge funds, banks, whatever. So they mm -hmm. thought I was somebody. Well, <laughs> that's sort of, so and LinkedIn for cannabis, for listeners who is the only platform that isn't terrible. Like yeah. they don't, Meta makes it very difficult. TikTok's yep. impossible. Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is support. Microsoft seems to be supportive, or at least not adversarial. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, and you know, talk about cleaning toilets and all of this stuff and wearing many hats. Um, you know, my role at Trade Roots, okay, starting on was Jesse hired me. I was going to get five percent of the company, and I had to raise two point two million dollars, and I can keep my day job. Um, I have quite a bit more than that now. I was I was just about to say yeah you surprised me with that number I figured you were much bigger owner than that um, and have you put in your own cash since then that's a two part question <laughs> we have Jesse and I have put in a ton of sweat and yet that's to be totally accurate yes I have I have lent the money and I've paid for stuff and the company's paid me for stuff, to be fully okay. transparent okay. Uh, but no Jesse and I did and still do a lot of sweating I mean I've okay yeah. Um, are you paying yourself? Are you paying yourself now? Do you have a salary or you or, or it's peanuts or is it peanuts? Um, I am again, very thankful uh, to be in the position I'm in. And, you know, if, look, <laughs> if you wanted to, if you wanted to get rich in cannabis, you should have sold the canopy three years ago or been one and sold the canopy now. Like it's just, uh... I saw a meme and it said, uh, it was like, it was a picture of a banner. It said, we didn't do this because it was easy. We did this because we thought it would be easy. Uh, so, uh, so you own a you own a little bit bigger piece. You're yep, paying, yep. And, you're getting, yeah, okay, all right. And so, where I was going with this is roles, right? So, okay, raise money in the fund. And then, Jesse, did you raise the two million? Did Did you raise it? You raised the two mil, eight. And so, eight raise the eight, and then and then and raised equity when truly we started our equity raise, Steve. So the, the dot-com crash was a 72% from peak to bottom was 72%. The pot-com crash in 2018 or whatever it was, was 92%. It was like I was selling the Marburg virus. It was just, and then we took on debt right when all of the meme stocks were going off and people are like 12% debt, I could buy GameStop. And it's like, just our timing was obviously not no choice but so did that um and then really my role with the company has been what 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 do we need to do and so 
Jesse never having any social media, I started taking that on and started taking on marketing roles. And so, you know, I, I joke, but it's not a joke, but you know, I'm not the marketing department and advertising and PR and all of that, that trade route comms that trade routes deserves, but I am the one that we currently can afford. Uh, <laughs> and so one of the things I leaned heavily into LinkedIn. Yeah, and sure. We went out to a conference. It was, it was MJ Biz uh, last year. And the number of people from California, from all around that had heard of trade routes and knew me and Jesse, because if you read our content, I post in my voice. It's the only voice I know. Uh, probably the only marketing department that can actively make fun of the owners, the cap table, uh, you know, without fear of being fired. And, and that's sort of been our voice. And so, um, you know, with that reach, um, it's enabled, it, it's, it's opened up a lot. And so that's great. Going out to conferences, I get to talk to a bunch of people. And so mm -hmm. they'll ask me, well, what do I do? And it's like, well, I don't know. I, I have, a, I do a lot of it and I never seem to have enough time to do it all. Um, <laughs> but really, I think one of my biggest assets that I've been able, and really thinking about this that I've been able to help is while Jesse is down in the trenches, I'm able to be up here and sort of look at the, look at the, the entire battlefield, advise him. And advise our board and, and all of that. Um, but also, like, there are a lot of shiny objects. There are no a doubt. lot of shiny objects. No doubt. No doubt. And so avoiding chasing the shiny yeah, objects. Yeah, it's critical. My, are you do you and Jesse have board seats? Yep. So I'm okay. I'm chair, Jesse has a seat, and then we have a, a third director. Gotcha. Can you share who majority owner is on the cap table or no? Um, Jesse and I control over half the stock and two thirds of the board as of now. Okay, good. Okay. Bottom line is if you and Jesse decide we're doing A, B, and C, that's what you're doing. You can't be outvoted. Um, so we used Foley Hoag out of Boston to, to write our OA. Um, we've had in-house counsel and, and counsel for a long time. Um, we have a very balanced operating agreement. Okay. So not that Jesse and I could do. Jesse and I can, they can tell us no, they can't tell us yes, if that makes sense. So they can, if we want so some, 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 some things are unanimous and some things aren't. Some things need major member approval uh, or lender okay. approval. Some need okay. total approval. Yeah. So, but we have the, what our concern was is we didn't want, you know, there's the two kinds of, my favorite investor is a helpful investor. So we have, and I will say we have we have a, a great cap table. Um, great. We awesome. have some investors, some investors that your audience may know. Uh, certainly, they are members of some VC. But they I was going to say, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to say, are there any VC you're in there nope. or anything? No, nope. no, nope. nope. mostly local, nope. small business. Um, okay, All right. and a lot helpful. And that's the whole like. We have helpful investors. We have a number That's of members, helpful investors. Um, That's great. And then we have silent investors. Fortunately, we don't really have any loud. We, we have no majority <laughs> loud, unhelpful investors. And Congratulations. So, Congratulations. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody, everybody wants to see this succeed. But I also, sure. look, this was supposed to be a three to five year plan. And then it's, it's been not. how many? Six, seven? What's it been? Well, it was going to be three to five for when we opened, and we've been open the back of the house for two years. Um, okay, but it took longer to open. I mean, COVID and just everything. So, what's what's the plan? Are you do you want to do you want to do you want to? I mean, I, now that you have investors, I'm assuming they all want you to sell at some point. Um, you can't. So, what's the is that? 
Is that the plan or is there a target? Is there a timeline? Do you have any interest now? Do you have a pitch deck going around? Do you have, do you have a, what's, what's happening? <laughs> um, I, uh, so if I had a pitch deck, it is my understanding that going on some sort of public forum talking about how we're doing an active capital raise, that would not be allowed. So <laughs> if that were the case, we wouldn't be talking about it. Um, <laughs> Got it. is my understanding. Uh, that being said, I, if, if my general counsel is listening to this, I hope this is on his six minute intervals and not mine. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, so we're looking to get, we're looking to improve we're looking to improve and refine our processes. We are looking to deepen our partnerships in the state. Um, Massachusetts is, and, and I don't know when this is going to get published, but is, I was one of the first people in, I think I was the first person publicly in the state to come out a year ago. And I earned the, the nickname online Calamity Carl for it when cannabis was trading at 12 a gram. And it's like, could you guys survive at five? because the math is showing that, like just numbers, right? And so I got called every name in the book and I caused the crash, it's my fault and all this shit. I am now, and this has been the last week, really concerned about an accounts receivable bubble that may pop in Massachusetts. Let's talk, let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the the general consensus or feel that you have for the industry long-term here. I mean. A lot of cannabis folks that I talk to right now are hurting. Uh, uh, they're saying that, you know, that the prices are too low. The margins have shrank. The investors have dried up, blah, blah, blah. I hear a lot of negative energy around it. Um, is that true? Is all of that true? Do you do you think uh, the, the honeymoon's over? Wh wh where do you see it going? So I was talking to a really smart friend of ours, Um who st stood up one of the first medicals, big, um, really, really smart man. And, and this is maybe about a year, six months ago. And I sent him my thesis on why I figured the market was bottoming. And if you take a look, the Cannabis Control Commission publishes prices. And in February, that's kind of where I thought it was. And then True Leave went out and dumped all their flour cheap on the market. And so, I mean, we're still, we're within, I think, 50 cents of, of where that bottom was, I believe. Um, and that's for mass market flour. We also have seen a bifurcation. Um, in, you know, we've raised prices from a low of $1,100 a pound bulk to, I think, $1,800 now for, for bulk on hand trimmed okay. flowers. So, okay. um, and you know, my, my calculations of the 110 cultivators, there are 17, about 3.4% of the canopy space and about six and a quarter percent of sales that are terpy hand trimmed craft flower. If you want to go anecdotally on all the message board, like sort of putting everything together on what, what would a craft premium grow be? relatively small amount of the market compared to Western states and certainly compared to uh, other industries, coffee, beer, all that stuff, right? Um, and so we're seeing that. My concern, the concern now is Massachusetts. I, I oh, take one step back. So talking with this gentleman, I, I laid out this thesis on why I think bottomed out, capital dried up, all of this stuff. And he's like, you're forgetting what he's like, you're right, but you're forgetting one thing, the zombies. And I was like, the zombies. And I then went out to Benzinga, Chicago and spoke 
had a drink at a bar with a gentleman who was a vice president at one of the MSOs based out of Chicago. And I was talking about prices are about to crash and all this stuff. And he takes a sip of his martini with the dirty blue cheese olives. And he's like, doesn't matter. You could survive an over 50% price compression and it doesn't move your needle. He's like, Carl, Massachusetts is the check the box exercise. And that's when I started to sweat. And it reminded me of that J.D. Rockefeller quote, but it's very difficult to compete against a well-heeled opponent who has no intention of making money. Mm. Massachusetts, you're limited to three stores. So if you have 40 stores in Florida or whatever, whatever that are crushing it in Massachusetts, all that matters is that you have 3% of the pre-roll market, 1% of this, 5% of that. doesn't even matter if you get paid on it because the analysts aren't going to actually ask in these conference calls. So you're just going to see that as book day are. And so we're competing in a market where we have entrenched well-heeled players that aren't really concerned with making money in this market. And that's why you saw True Leave leave. You saw, I mean, there've been, you know, I mean, there's now with Jack's going on, I believe there've been 18 companies that have pulled out so far that I know of a number on the market. Um, it's, it's really hard. And for us, you know, we have money coming in on the manufacturing services side. Well, if, if we're extracting oil for somebody, and their retailers aren't paying them. And then we're not, and it just becomes, it becomes out, this. You mentioned it. So your outstanding AR is growing, huh? We, it did. And then we tightened it with making right partners. And now it's just been, I was at a meeting with 30 operators a week ago, private, private, but a round table. Um, commissioners are aware of it. Uh, we had a we actually hosted a commissioner. Um, they do this a a trade group called the the CBA uh, Cannabis Business Association run by David O'Brien. It's a, a one. It's mostly mostly small. I guess there's probably maybe a couple of like privately held like little regional MSOs, um, but no pubco public traded company members. Mm-hmm. Um, and they host mm-hmm. these roundtables. You host a commissioner. You can talk about stuff and. This was brought up. Um, I did hear from, uh, gotta be careful here. Um, yeah, this is, yeah, there's, I suspect this becomes a, a bigger problem. And maybe, maybe you just make everybody prepay. Like, hey, yeah, man, I'm happy to, del- to deliver it, but you got to pay up, pay up front. It's, it's finding the right partners. And yep. Yep. I will say, you know, I kind of look at it this way. Let me, if this makes sense to you. Like, so I was good at trading in the late nineties because I could type really, really fast. So if news came out on something, I could type in AMZN and clack in a few orders before you were getting <laughs> and the computers, then all of it. Right. And then even when we were doing some of the algo stuff, when the professionals came in, you know, they had custom computers with custom operating systems going through dark fiber and lasers, and we could never do it. So I had to get slower. And one of the things that Jesse and I have been have been talking about is you have a lot of these salespeople that horse trade, young guys that'll just swap product. You know, you buy 20 from me, I'll buy 20 from you. They get a commission plus 280E, and it doesn't benefit the companies at all except for diversity of product, right? And the salespeople don't care if the sale actually gets, as long as it's booked, when they actually get the revenue, because they're still getting paid. Like, so just perverse incentives and, and all of that stuff. And so it's like, if this is what everybody's doing, and then you sort of take a look at our top, just by revenue, our, our top 
customers. And it's like, they're our friends. They're the ones that when times are tight, like if we have a problem, I can call you. You can call me. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's sort of like that trading faster, faster, faster. Maybe it's going slower, narrower, and deeper yeah. with the right customers. And that, yeah, yeah. that has been, and, and it's also, it's, you know, you're talking about plans. It's okay. Well, we sell all this flower bulk. Well, it would be much better if I saw it on my store. So it's shift is shit trying totally. to shift what we have into higher margin, more profitable. Trends. Are you looking for to open more retail stores right now? I guess you can open two more. Are you looking for locations or no? Actively looking? No. Um, I'm very fortunate that a lot of deals come across my desk. So I kind of have an idea of what's okay. out there. Um, okay. I, yeah. Right now it's, it's, we're, we're focusing on really honing in and getting better on okay. um, what we're doing. And what's interesting is talking to a number of other operators who are doing things well. I'm hearing a lot of those same echoes. Like we're not going after that shiny object in Florida anymore. Okay. We're going to slow down. Yeah. Okay. What do you think happens? I know we're, we're coming up on our hour here. So I want to get these two bigger 30,000 foot questions in. What do you think happens when the fed legalizes it across the country? Do you, a, a do you think that's going to happen? When do you think that might happen? And when it does, does it wipe out all the small people and, you know, Pfizer takes over the marijuana industry? What do you think happens? I then have to ask you, how does it happen? So, I mean, there, in, there are a couple of things, right? So schedule three, schedule three, HHS memo, DEA does something, comment period, listening to all the smart people, probably a couple of years. Um, what does that mean? It means 280E goes away. That's wonderful. Um, if the exchanges and FinCEN read it right, maybe there could be some guidance for uplisting that could bring in capital market stuff. I believe that does now that it would be schedule three offer bankruptcy protection that may, you know, stimulate some stuff, but it doesn't mean there's cross-border transactions. It doesn't mean that necessarily that could happen through court, through courts. My understanding, obviously I spent so many years in law school and, <laughs> and all of this, but um, you know, uh, so there's that. Um, there's the Boy Schiller case that Ascend Wellness um, and I think Verano and maybe GTI, I'm not sure, are helping fund. And that's effectively the firm. My understanding is they're making a, an identical case or a similar case that they used when they did the gay rights thing in California that they did most recently with DraftKings, effectively stating that by the very definition that if there if there is a state legal and regulated market in something, the federal government has to be hands off because of the 10th Amendment. So what that would mean is in any state where there was a legal regulated market, uh, cannabis would not be on the CSA. It doesn't mean that cannabis isn't Schedule 1. It just means hands off, which would then 280E goes away, all, all of that stuff, because it's just not it's just not that thing in that state. Um what what I'm in what's interesting is the Jefferson Packinghouse case out, out west, um, and I believe there's a case in New York. What could be interesting is a Tenth Amendment case against a cross-border neighboring state interstate commerce. And that's where Massachusetts, when talking about the testing standards, could be kind of interesting because if Massachusetts having the highest testing standards, although we couldn't say California, you're not allowed to ship weed in, we could say it has to be tested to our standards, which most would fail. So we would be, 
a net exporter, at least early on. But with any of these things, and you talked about what our plans are, sell this, that, it and tie, this ties in the two. It brings me back to a quote from my trading days. Liquidity isn't where you get in and out where you want to. It's where you can get in and out when you have to. Mm. Right now, there's a ton of distress on the market. There's a lack of money to buy it up. Um, it, it just, there's no liquidity. So, I mean, what are you going to hit bids at one time revenue, maybe, and get yeah. smoked? Like, and mass with the Cannabis Control Commission. I mean, the change of controls and all of that and the background checks takes forever. So I sort of view this again, going back to trading in like, so there were times and I was a lot of times contra trend. That was, so something's tanking, I'm going to find the bottom. And a lot of times when that happens, or something's going up parabolic and I'm going to try to find the top. Well, an exchange or company could choose to halt the stock for that, for whatever reason. So a lot of times I can get stuck and there's nothing you could do. So I could be long a block, you could be short a block. We Even if we're sitting next to each other, we can't just cross it out. You have to trade it out. So the way I look at this is sort of like, okay, I'm stuck in a halt. I could be mad. I could be down 50%. I could be all these things. But that stock's about to open up in two minutes and I have to make a decision, right? So I try to evaluate, what would I do if I were flat? What would I do if I didn't have a position? So if if I'm long, if I own something, and if I now, even though I may have just gotten smoked, if I want to buy it down here, I'm definitely not selling. And hopefully, and hopefully you can find the capital to buy more. If maybe I'm just not interested here, then I'm not doing anything, maybe try to sell a little bit. And certainly if I want it to be the other way, then even at that loss, I'm still trying to get out. And I sort of view the industry like, okay, we're stuck in a halt. So now what do we do? Mm. And the answer, you have that magic eight ball, seems to be refine processes, build value, be open to opportunities, but don't don't spread yourself too thin. Okay. Let me ask you this um, last question. And by the way, just want to make sure for the listeners really quick. Um, traderoots.buzz. Traderoots.buzz. Um, and Carl, I'm sure, because LinkedIn is huge, uh, you can also connect with them on LinkedIn as well, right? You do have, look at that, 10,000 connections, my friend. Um, we'll make sure we include that in the uh, content of the post when we put that out. Um, you mentioned war on drugs earlier. Let's kind of leave the audience with this 50,000-foot question. If you could legalize drugs, if you could wave a magic wand and just say, hey, the war on drugs is total BS, just Everything's legal. If you want to shoot heroin in your arm or spin around in your front yard until you fall down, go for it. I don't care. Like, would you legalize drugs overall? Um, I was involved in Ron Paul's campaign in 12. Um, so uh, as a principal libertarian, I find it impossible that I could commit a crime against myself. That's weird. Uh, make the crime the crime. So yes, if I got drunk and then committed vehicular land manslaughter well then that's the crime right but so um i see the harm that has been done by this war on i mean war on, yeah is is awful um you know uh, that said i was talking with a friend of mine maybe a couple months ago and i was like i we just got lucky we just picked the right drugs we just didn't pick bad drugs like that was just but had you had I grown up in a place where instead of my friend Justin going, do you want to try some pots and hey, you want to try this little pill? You know, so but 
is what we're doing now working? No, it's not. It's, this is an abject failure. This is a public health issue. Why do so many people want to do heroin? Why do so many people want to dissociate and escape? And I'm willing to bet we could probably take the bajillions of dollars we're spending on all of this stuff and probably put it in a better place. So, so yeah, no, this, no, doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. The reason they're shooting up with heroin is, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, but depression, mental illness, uh, poverty to escape reality on and on right those it all it all ties into that and you can spend that money in a lot better places because you know the war on drugs is never i mean it's just uh yeah it's an ongoing failure when waste of money that could be spent in a bunch of other places i i totally believe it and by the way i'm uh fully on board with the don't don't pass laws to tell me what i can and can't do with my own body i'm i'm against 99 percent of those i i i i now this is going to sound crazy and I'm going to get a lot of shit for this for saying this probably because my wife hates it too. I'm so uh adamant about that topic <laughs> that a lot of times I won't wear my seatbelt because I'm just irritated at the fact that that the government's saying I have to wear a seatbelt for my own body and 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 I'm for me I'm like uh, even though I know you should cuz it's safe I just hate the fact that that law is there controlling my own body. I just, I just, I'm irritated by it. You sound like an entrepreneur, <laughs> sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carl, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it, man. Trade roots buzz for everybody uh, to check it out. Um, fascinating story. Congratulations on everything you guys are doing over there, my friend. Appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Steve. This was fun. Uh -huh.